Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and the top instructors in the game share their insights and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by TaylorMade Golf, the PGA Tour Superstore, Golf Pride, Two Under, Zexio, Sun Mountain Golf Bags, Finn Scooters, Making the Game More Fun, Bionic Gloves, and the McLemore Club. Experience life above the clouds. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Good evening, folks, and welcome to a special Happy Birthday to Me edition of Next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and yes, yesterday was my birthday. I'm beginning my 56th trip around the sun. In my head, I'm still 26, which my back and joints laugh at and remind me that I'm not as young as springtime no more, to, to quote Rocky Balboa in the final scene of Rocky Three. But at least I'm not as old as Tom Patrick, so I've got that going for me, which is nice. Speaking of TP, it wouldn't be a special birthday celebration without him tonight. We're going to get tips from TP about pre-shot routine, and we're going to get back to fundamentals like the grip, ball position, tee height, and if you have two putters, do you really have none? Tom's going to join me here in just a few minutes. Following him, I'll get a return visit from LPGA two-time major champion Jane Geddes. Jane and I are going to discuss the LPGA commissioner position, because from the moment Michael Wan announced that he was going to be stepping down. I heard Jane's name mentioned as a possible replacement. We'll talk about if that's a position she'd like to have. We'll also talk about the upcoming LPGA Legends Tour schedule, which opens up with the LPGA Senior U.S. Open in July. Really looking forward to catching up with Jane. She'll join me about 25 minutes from now. Then we'll round out tonight's show with a visit from Manitoba Golf Hall of Famer Terry Hashimoto. Terry is not only a Canadian golf legend, he's also the co-designer of Body Track Golf, which measures weight distribution and balance in your golf swing. Going back to his college days, Terry played at the University of Miami won seven times during his college career. We'll talk about all of that, plus his partnership with one of our sponsors, Squares Golf, when Terry joins me about 45 minutes from now. So there you have it, folks. More great stories, tips, and information are coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the Tee. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. Before we get started, I want to remind you about our friends over at the Macklemore. My buddies and I are headed up there this year for our annual golf trip, and I absolutely cannot wait. The Macklemore is a beautiful community, resort, and golf course just 35 minutes outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee, up on Lookout Mountain. Folks, go online to themacklemore.com to check out what a wonderful golf course and other amenities they have up there. They opened up their new clubhouse and bar last fall. Folks, you've got to see this place to believe how great it is. Golf course is co-designed by our good friends Bill Bergen and Reese Jones. And our friend and PGA Tour caddy Kip Henley said, outside of Pebble Beach, it's the most beautiful 18th hole he's ever seen. And Golf Digest agreed, naming it the best finishing hole in America since 2000. See why all of them are saying that by checking out the course and the resort online at themacklemore.com. I also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Two Under. Two Under men's performance briefs are the official underwear of the 2021 U.S. Ryder Cup team, the captain and all vice captains. They are worn by more than 30 players on the PGA and Champions Tour, 
They are also worn by over 70 NCAA Division I colleges and 17 NFL teams. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management, delivering maximum comfort, fit, and performance, from the golf course to the boardroom to the bedroom. Find these two underperformance men's briefs in over 4,000 golf pro shops nationwide, all Shields sports stores, PGA Tour Superstore, Golf Galaxy, and other fine retailers near you. Go online to twounder.com. That's the number two, U-N-D-R.com. Two underperformance in your pants. Use code on the T20 for a 20% discount at checkouts. Not valid on items already on sale or NCAA license briefs. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at TaylorMade and their TaylorMade TP5 and TP5X golf balls. High draw? Check. Low fade? Check. Bump and run? Out of the sand or flop shot? Check, check, and check. No matter what shot you need to pull off, there's one ball that's better for them all, and that's the all-new TP5 and TP5X from TaylorMade. With a newly designed dimple pattern that decreases drag and increases lift, it's the number one ball in golf no matter the shot. So whether you need to hit it over the trees, under, or even through them, hit TP5 and TP5X, the one ball designed to handle it all. Check them out online at TaylorMadeGolf.com for more information. All right, now back with me is our resident director of instruction, Tom Patrick. You've only got a few more weeks, folks, left to go down there and visit Tom at his winter home at Crown Colony Golf and Country Club in Fort Myers. If you're nowhere near the west coast of Florida, but you still want to get lessons from one of the top instructors in the game, you can download the V1 video app and send Tom videos of your golf swing, and he can help you get it dialed in through the app. Please check out his website, TomPatry.com, and subscribe to his newsletter while you're there. And go to his YouTube channel and subscribe to that, too, because Tom has uploaded over 150 free playing lessons for you. Be sure to follow him on Twitter and Instagram at TomPatryGolf. And I'm glad to have him back to help me celebrate my birthday tonight here on Next on the T. Good evening, TP. How are you, my friend? To you, happy birthday <laughs> to you. Happy birthday, dear Christy. Happy birthday to you. Ah, oh, thank you, TP. I appreciate you, my friend. A, a couple of corrections. Are you? You said you're fifty-six. I thought you were sixty-six. <laughs> then I would be older than you, so everyone could see that that's not not that case. Well, you look. You, you, well, I was gonna say it looks that way to me. What are your What are your <laughs> Macklemore dates with your boys? When are you going up? When are you going to Macklemore? We're gonna be up there uh June. I think it's tenth through thirteenth. Through 10th through 13th. Thursday okay. through a Sunday. That's okay. Okay. I just, I just wanted to make a note of that. Uh, you never know. Um, so before we before we go to the regular hysteria we, we go through every time we're on together, is it true that you've done almost 500 of these golf shows? That is true. That's a fact, my friend. And, and, and over 500 of the football shows. Yes. Even more on the football side, so yes. So the combined total is somewhere between a thousand and eleven hundred shows. That's right. Yep. Pal, you you're you're a, you're a superstar, man. You you're, you're <laughs> I, I just want you know I, we always kid we always kid each other and we give each other a hard time, but man, the stuff you do for both of these two games and, and the people you you reach out to and involve in these shows is just. Absolutely awesome. You know I follow you on social media and all your ticks, and, and both on the football side and the golf side. 
And what you don't know is I've tuned into some of those football shows now. I mean, Pally, you do an incredible job, and, 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 and kudos to you, and happy birthday at the same time. What, what a great thing. I mean, the only thing holding you back is that 12 handicap, which is actually more like probably 15 <laughs> or 16, but um, it, it, the, the job you do is incredible. And, you know, like, look, at, look, at the, look at today's guest, for example, excluding me, of course. Gene Getty, superstar in the LPGA Tour, and probably the next commissioner. Who, who does that on the show? And then back them up with Terry Hashimoto. And for the folks out there listening who don't know about Terry Hashimoto, we played college golf at the same time, a dear friend of mine, and one of the most brilliant golf minds on the technical, technical side there is in the, on the planet. And that, you, I know you haven't spoken to him yet, Chris. You're going to be impressed with that guy. He is a, he is a incredible golf mind. Incredible. So kudos to you. I mean, one good guest after another. Guy. You're, you're, you're doing an awesome job out there. Well, I certainly appreciate all of that, TP. It means a great deal to me. Uh, I just happen to be very fortunate to have a lot of great guests like Tom Patry that come on the show on a regular basis. So uh, my, my job is to tee you guys up and get the heck out of the way so that you guys can tell stories and share your, your playing lessons and your tips. I'm just uh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a blessed man in a lot of ways. Oh, oh. Give me some of your nonsense. Right, let's, let's, you know, let's start out with some nonsense. Did, did you hit your five golf balls today in preparation for uh, for next week's Florida Senior Open Championship? Are you, are you ready? We had, we had uh, I played a practice round um, yesterday over there. I hadn't, been, I hadn't seen the place before. So I kind of wheeled around there in about three and a half hours after work yesterday. And got some notes and looked at it. It's a uh, it's a it's a pretty good old test. They've got it's uh got to drive the ball pretty nicely. It has to creep in there and you got to pay attention. You can you can make a big number quick if you fall asleep out there. So it's it's a pretty good test. And if the wind blows, it'll be a really good test. Um, but yeah, I've been I've been working at it. I, I've been trying to sneak every every spare second I could in. So well, I'll be ready when the time comes. I, I think I think we're heading in the right direction. There you go. You know I'm rooting hard for you. So. Go play well, my friend. Looking forward to hearing the stories afterwards. And speaking of stories, Mr. Patry, you had a big-name player come uh, spend some time at uh, Casa de Patry last week. A little little bit of that story? Yeah, we had a little – I had a a friend over on Saturday night. The Champions Tour was in town, and um, somebody you may or may not have heard of, a guy named Couples, came over, and we had a little – and he whipped up some of our Maryland crab cakes, and I threw a couple of steaks on the grill. And Freddie came over with his uh, with his caddy, Mark Janey, Janey, who's a dear friend of ours as well. And we we kind of caught up. We hadn't seen each other because of COVID. And we figured out almost two years, which is probably the longest time we haven't seen each other. And then we talked Yankee baseball. We talked Red Sox. We talked Los Angeles Dodgers. We talked, uh, you know, a little NBA. We don't really talk much golf because it's funny. And all the time we've known each other, um, I'll bet you, you know, we've known each other. We figured 41 years comes up this year. Um, we probably had about three golf conversations in our life together. Um, wow. We talk everything, but which is, which is kind of probably why we, we're still friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was nice. It, 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 was, it, was, it was great catching up with him. And, uh, he, you know, the, the greatest thing about Fred Couples is Fred Couples is still Fred Couples. The same Fred Couples that I met in 1980 at a college tournament at Ohio State. There's the same Fred couples that sat at the dinner table on, on Saturday night. Um, and that's why, and that's why we love him so much because he's, he's the same, he's the same dude. He, with all the successes he's had, and we know he's had many. Um, 
He's the same exact human being I knew uh, and met in 1980 at Ohio State. Tom, let's, talking about the Champions Tour, a guy that I think many of us thought we wouldn't hear from again until he joined the Champions Tour, Stuart Sink. Now, he's a month shy now of his 48th birthday, and here's a guy now at that age just won twice now on the PGA Tour this season. We saw him last Sunday do a great job over at Harbortown, but how is a guy that age, do you think, out there beating all these young guys? You know, I think Stuart Sink is going through the same metamorphosis that Jay Haas went through late in his career. Um, I think it's been inspired by the same exact drug that's called his son. Um, you know, Jay told me, I asked Jay right after he joined the Champions Tour and had so, so, so much success um, that he'd really never experienced on the PGA Tour why it was happening. They said, you know, Tom, every time I come home and I, and I want to sit on the couch, my two boys, who obviously are both great players, you know, want to go play golf, want to go hit balls, want, want to go to the gym. And they kept me so young and made me physically more fit than I had been before and sharper than I had been before. So when I turned 50, I just, you know, I hit the ground running where some of the guys were sitting on their rear ends not doing much. And I think we're seeing Sink with his son catting on the bag. You know, nobody wants to go out there as a father with his son on the bag and, and hit it sideways and play crappy. I think the kid has been a huge inspiration to Stuart, and I think it's, uh, it's exactly the right drug at the right time. You know, we, we know the man's talent. He, you know, he, he won a bunch of times out there. You know, he has eight wins, um, and he has a major, and he has a world golf championship. Don't so forget. So obviously pretty damn talented. So I think that the adding the son to the mix on the bag has been just the perfect inspiration to kind of rejuvenate him and, and kick him into gear again. So, and, 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 and by the way, Chris, perfect game for the championship. Not overly long, but, but long enough. Hits it pretty damn straight. Still has, has a wonderful touch around the green. And, he, and he's kept himself physically halfway decently fit. So I would say that, you know, he's, you know, rounding the bases and just hit a grand slam and he's off to the races. I, I'd be very careful at 50 years old what Stuart Sink. I think you're going to hear a lot more good things in the future. Tom, I want to switch things up and start talking about some playing lessons from you tonight. And we're going to tell, we're going to just sort of go from green to tea, kind of make our way backwards. But uh, first, I, w- I want to get your thoughts on putting stroke and then putter head styles. But first, your thoughts on guys like Bryson DeChambeau and Matt Kuchar are now using, they use the extra long putter shaft and they brace it up against their forearm. Bryson on the, on his left forearm, Matt Kuchar. And a stroke that I, I'm still struggling to understand braces it up against his right, uh, his right shoulder. So his trail show, uh, trail, uh, forearm. But your thoughts on the, on the idea of using these extra long putter shaft, whether you're anchoring it, if you will, or pressing it up against your, your left forearm or your right forearm. Is that anchoring? How is that different from anchoring? <laughs> well, I don't think it is because I think actually what happened there was when the USGA bumbled and stumbled through the long putter controversy and, and in my opinion, made the wrong decision because there was no absolute evidence. There was no statistical evidence that the long putter created an advantage. Because if, if you think back to that time when all this was coming down the pike, if you go back and look at some old film of Ernie Ells putting with the long putter, he was horrific with it. I mean, not bad. He was terrible with it. Um, so it didn't help him one bit. And he is a fairly, you know, fairly good player. And, you know, there were some guys that had some successes. You know, obviously, you're going to point to Rocco Media at the rally, and you're going to point to, you know, Webb Simpson at the U.S. Open and, and Adam Scott at the, at the at the Masters. But 
for every one of those you can name that had success, there were an equal number of guys that put with the long putter that did not have success. So when the USGA banned that, all they did was set the game back from the amateur standpoint, supposedly trying to promote the game of golf 100 years because it discouraged so many guys at their home country club who were think whether they were or were not thought they were having some success and enjoying the game more. I thought it was a terrible ruling. What happened in the same in the same breath was they forgot about anchoring against the forearm or a body part other than the chest or the belly. Uh, it was kind of a loophole. It fell through the cracks. And once they did it, and it was so much turmoil about the ruling. I think what they decided, and I'm just I'm just surmising this myself. They decided not to go back and amend it for the arm lock situation, which which you're discussing or questioning right now. They just left alone for the window. We had so much heat about the belly putter and the, and the chest mount. Let's just leave this alone. And so the loophole allowed guys like Kucher, um to put it on their and, and Bryson put it on their on their forearm and putt pretty successfully with it. I highly recommend the arm lock for guys who get a little twitchy or get a little handsy and can't control the putter face. Yeah, it's helped a lot of people. Um, I hope it stays. I, I think it allows people to enjoy the game at the club level. Uh, a lot of my guys who were belly putters or uh, who were chest mounted have gone to the arm lock successfully at the club level and, and, and continue to enjoy their golf. I recently converted a couple of my college players to it. Um, I think there's there's really there's really something solid about it. Um, it's it's worth looking into. And listen, there's so many there's so many grips out there on the tour now, whether they're pencil grip or cross handed or, or arm lock or or you know there's so many variations now, Chris, out there. Uh, putting is part science and part art form, and we're seeing some very artistic uh, endeavors into into putting strokes and putting grips. So uh, all the more power to them, you know, whatever works. Tom, I know you've been toying with the new Scotty Cameron Phantom X putter, and the majority of the top players on tour now are using some form of mallet putter. I've got a tailor-made Spider X putter that I really like. It's a it's sort of a much different putter world than it was when Jack Nicklaus was winning all those majors with his George Lowe putter. What are your thoughts on the putterhead? Yeah, you know, Chris, I think I think uh, I'm not toying with the Phantom X. I've been a Phantom X uh, user now for. Um, I'm trying to think. I, I think we go back. I, I always lose track of time now because of COVID, but I got it at the, the show before COVID. So it's almost, it's almost two years now. I, I'm with the, with the Phantom X and, um, you know, I, I putted with one putter, Chris, from the time I was 11 years old as starting as a beginning golfer, won all my junior tournaments, my, my college events, my NCAA, uh, and putted my entire professional career with a ping answer. And then, by the way, the exact same thing, Anzer, which is sitting about 15 feet from where we're talking right now. Um, somebody put another mallet head in my hand uh, just to try a couple years back, and it instantly allowed me, I thought at least, allowed me to aim much better, uh, square the putter face up better at address, and keep it square back to the point of impact. Um, so I, I obviously needed a Scotty product, so I'm a Titleist guy. And uh, a couple of the guys in the Scotty camp helped me get fitted into Phantom X. And, and as we see now, like you said, on tour, it's predominantly mallets out there right now, both on the men's and women's tours. We see mallet, mallet, mallet everywhere. Um, I think they're really easy to aim. Um, they seem to be able to get the lie angle really, really flush to the ground. Um, they're very comfortable standover as far as I'm concerned. They're very well balanced. 
Um, they, depending on the face material, the Phantom X has great, a great feel off the face. I just think that it's a, it's a much easier putter to get the ball started on line with. So, Tom, when I think about guys and Dustin Johnson just switched putters again, and I sort of view guys going back and forth between putters sort of like college football teams rotating quarterbacks in and out. If you, if you have two putters, like if you have two quarterbacks, you really have none. And so when I think about that switch, and you're taking the putter that you've been using for a while, and you stick it out in the bag in the garage, sort of like stick it in the garage, you're punishing it for a while, go be in the garage, go be in that bag, <laughs> you don't get to come out and play, and you're going to stay there until you learn how to putt right. So your thoughts on, on the idea of going kind of back and forth, and if you have a couple of different putters, do you really have one? First of all, on, on the punish the putter point, because there was a, there was a, a player named Rick Pearson, well, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, maybe he works for PGA Tour Productions now. He played at the University of Florida, and played on the same team as Kenny Green and Mark Altavecchia. And I remember at a college event, he had thing hands, and he came off the golf course after the third round, the final round, and he putted poorly, and he tied the putter to the back of the college van with a piece of rope, <laughs> and drug it all the way back from the college van back to Gainesville, <laughs> and destroyed and basically destroyed destroyed the putter. Destroyed the putter and he was punishing it for a bad round, a bad couple of rounds. Um, I think that's a little extreme, but I, I can I can relate to that frustration at times. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm not a big fan. Listen, I, I I just got done saying that I putted with the same putter from the time I was 11 years old till I was 60, uh, and just and just changed that phantom two years ago. So I'm obviously clearly not a big fan of changing putters a lot. I mean, I think you find something that works. Uh, when, when it, when it goes bad, it, it's, it's usually not the instrument, it's the operator. Um, I'm, I'm not big on, on making excuses, um, for putting poorly and blaming the putter. You know, I love when guys take a putter out to the green and they bring a new putter to a lesson. They say, man, I found this putter. I got it fitted. It feels so damn good. It's unbelievable. I'm putting great with it. And then six months later, it's the worst putter I ever had. I don't like the way it looks. It doesn't feel good. I said, what, 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 what happened? The, the, you know, the courtship's over. You're not, not dating anymore. What happened there? You know, um, I, I think the guys change too often sometimes. Um, and, and they don't, they won't take responsibility for what really goes on. And I get it. I, I've had a backup putter. I, I just, I, it's not that I just got another fan of model from Titleist recently, uh, sent to me, one of the newer models and took it out. It sits great. It looks great. It doesn't feel quite as good as the as, as the Phantom model I'm putting with. Like two different models, just slightly different models. It's great to have a backup. I'm not big on jumping on and off the bandwagon. I'm, I'm not a big promoter of that. Tom, let's talk fundamentals. And sometimes we fall into bad habits, particularly if we haven't played in a while. What kind of checklist should we be going through in our minds to ensure that our grip, our posture, our ball position, everything is good to go? So we can step up and hit a really good tee shot. Well, I, I, I think Chris, you just, you just kind of teed it up for me, didn't you? You know, I'm about to, um, and by the way, just a slight correction in the introduction tonight. You can't, you can't come see me at Crown Colony anymore this season because this is my last week. So you're not going to get in this year. Hope I see you guys next winter if you're tuned in. Um, but when I, when I change, uh, locations here in, uh, in early May, you know, I'll leave. Southwest Florida, and between packing up here for a couple of days 
driving up to the, the new location for me in Country Club in Virginia, unpacking, going through a couple of meetings uh, with the new staff and stuff like that, and, and you know, seeing the facility. There'll probably be a five or six or seven day period where I don't touch a golf club. For and that doesn't sound like very much to you guys who are weekend warriors, but to me, who's used to putting his hands on the club every day and feeling the club every day, when I have seven straight days away from the game, you know, I first put the club back in my hands. It doesn't feel as comfortable, obviously, as when I left. And I know I know you guys go through this every week. Um, so I will spend at least two days um, hitting golf balls at the end of my day. Um, going through a checklist that you just described, my grip, my stance, my ball position, my aim and my alignment, my posture, and my spacing. And with a relatively short club, probably a pitching wedge, nine or an eight iron, getting some shots for two days, just getting all those things back, like you would say, check, 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 um, and establishing some balance and some rhythm and some timing again, but constantly rechecking and cross-checking all my fundamental, you know, setup conditions. Um, because if the launching pad isn't secure, Chris, you have no chance of making a good golf swing. I, I really believe that. I mean, I think all cancers, all swing cancers can be traced back to the setup condition. So I'll spend those two days kind of putting my house back in order before I even attempt to work through my bag and, and eventually go to the first tee again. So let's talk pre-shot routine. As you're kind of, you know, you talk about aim and that sort of thing. Take us through your pre-shot routine, and why we need one. Okay, so my, my pre-shot routine, if you look at it with a putter in my hand, with a wedge in my hand, with a five iron in my hand, with a driver in my hand, would look, very, would look, would look identical. Um, I basically start behind the golf ball. I walk in in a slight semicircle to a perpendicular to the target line. I'll, I'll form my grip away from the golf ball, and I'll hold the club up at eye level and check the relationship between my grip and the club face, making sure that the club face is, in fact, neutral to my grip. I'll then put the club down behind the golf ball with my right foot first out extended, my right foot and club stepping in. Um, I'll, I'll look down the target line once or twice, checking the relationship between the face and the target line, the intended start of the target line. I'll then step in with my left foot and spread my right foot. I'll take one additional look, maybe waggle the club, and I'll go. And if we play a thousand rounds of golf together, Chris, you'll never see a variation from that pre-shot routine. You'll never see a variation. Let me repeat that one more time. You'll never see a variation from that pre-shot routine. Um, I think the greatest pre-shot routine of all time uh, has to be traced back to a guy named Nicholas, who was, who was pretty good and very, very deliberate. And if you look at his pre-shot routine in 1963 or you look at his pre-shot routine in 1986, not only are the steps he went through identical, but if you put them on a stopwatch, I would be uh, pretty pretty positive you'd find out when you click that stopwatch, stop and go, in both 63 and 86, it had the same amount of seconds that passed through uh, in both occurrences. Uh, I think those pre-shot routines get you in a cadence, get you into a relaxed state, get you comfortable, and allows you to come out of that starting gate, you know, all systems go. Um, you know, Nicholas probably, if you looked at him in the last 50 years of golf and you rated, you know, the top 30 golf swings in the last 50 years, he probably might not fall into the top 30 golf swings in the last 50 years. But if you rated pre-shot routines in the last 50 years, he would be number one. Um, I think that you look at Nicholas, you look at Raymond Floyd, you look at Watson, uh, you look at Greg Norman, uh, you know, people like that. 
um, you'll see very, very, very strict guidelines in pre-shot routine, and that's why they were, I think, the players that they were under pressure. Tom, just a couple more before I let you go. And one thing I don't think we really think a lot about is key height. You're teeing it up on the, you know, put it, putting the peg in the ground, making sure you've got it at the right height. But what is the right, or is there a right height? Is it, does it vary based on course condition? Does it vary based on weather condition or should it be consistent all the time? So that's a great question because I think that one of the things that TrackMan taught us um, was in, in, in very general terms, most players on a PGA Tour hit up on the driver. So we've moved the ball more forward and moved the a little higher. They've launched the ball a little higher uh, at a lower rate of spin. Um, so the carry distances are maxed out. And then obviously when the ball hits the ground, it still scampers quite a ways down, down, down the line. But I think we've gotten a little bit overdone with that because if you look at a guy like Brooks Kepka on the PGA Tour, he hits down on a few degrees on his driver. So there's kind of a range um, based on swing styles uh, that ranges somewhere from a couple down to as many as six or seven up. That's a pretty wide range. So a lot of different things are going on in those different golf swings, all world-class players, by the way. So depending on what you're trying to do with your golf ball uh, or what you're trying to overcome in your golf swing, um, the tee height and the ball placement could be things that you want to look at. And I think to be sure about that, you want to get with your golf coach, your PGA professional, and you want to get on track, man, and you want to check numbers in terms of launch, spin, angle of attack, uh, smash factor, et cetera, et cetera, to maximize your game plan as what best, you know, what best works for you as an individual. You know, like for you, Chris, for example, it wouldn't really matter because you're so talented and adaptive. You can do almost <laughs> anything I ask you to do. And just snap your fingers and, you know, and make and hit the shot. Right. So you're an exception. I appreciate you noticing that, Tom. Hey, one oh, of the other things I, I've noticed when I'm watching, uh, whether it's the guys or the girls on the PGA or LPGA tours, is a lot of them kind of pick up the head of the driver just prior to taking their backswing. So it's not sort of drug along the ground at all. Is that something you teach your students to do? Is there benefit to doing that? You know, we, the, you know, back to Jack Nicklaus. He, he was one that never grounded his driver. You know, he, he didn't want any pressure against the ground. He felt like sometimes when he put the club in the ground, he pressed down on the club and he created tension in his arms and hands. So a lot of those players are taking the club off the ground and just try to get the club feeling light in their hands and, and, and tension free in their arms to allow them to turn and swing the club with more freedom. Um, again, I think it's individual. I, I, I ground the club myself, but I don't put a lot of pressure on the golf club. I've had players who ground the club and, and just lean on that golf club, and you can see just tension. You can see the veins popping out of their neck. And I've uh, I've taken the club off the ground in those cases and and made, made them hover it. So I think it depends on the individual again. Tom, before I let you go, I know you've done a lot of work on your YouTube channel. Remind our listeners what they can find on there when they subscribe, and then how they can follow you as well over social media. Yeah, Chris, I'm still growing that. Channel, but it's, I think I'm I think I'm at around 150 clips now of video tips uh, on, on, a, on a wide variety of topics. Um, so it's been kind of fun. And if you're out there and you want to check it out, it's, it's free content and there's a bunch of it there. And just subscribe to the channel and, and follow it and, and enjoy it. Have at it. Um, and then of course all the regular places, you know, Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter and Instagram. 
most of my stuff now channels and drives through Instagram back to my Facebook sites. Um, but I'm really enjoying that. You know, you, you're, you're great on those social media channels itself. I, I enjoy putting that content up. I enjoy the feedback I get from people out there. Um, you know, the one thing that's amazing to me, Chris, if I can make a comment on that too, is, is it's amazing to me how much backbiting goes on in social media between teachers. Uh, and I try not to participate every once in a while. Something, you know, gets me riled up a little bit, but, you know, guys put their stuff up there and, and nobody has to agree with everything anybody else says. They, they've all found things that work in their teaching. So many guys have taken shots at other guys on, on, on these social media platforms and really been nasty in the way they've done it. Um, it just it just isn't necessary, and I hope I hope uh, anybody out there listening that's uh, subscribing to that kind of behavior can calm down and just you know keep their remarks to themselves. Well, Tom, it is always a privilege for me to have you as part of the show, my friend. Root hard for you next week. Please let me know uh, how things go because uh, you know I, yeah. you, you you'll carry my positive vibes in the in the cart or walking along with you. I'll be right there, uh, right by your side, my friend. Rooting hard for you. Thanks. Thanks, Paul. I appreciate that. If you don't hear from me, it's because I jumped into a lake with an alligator somewhere and I'm still pissed <laughs> off. So we'll see. Hopefully it works out okay. But I appreciate that. I yes. appreciate always being on with you, Chris, my friend. And uh, you're the very best in the whole world. Say hi to Hashi for me and uh, enjoy Jane. I absolutely will do both. Take care, my friend. Stay safe. All the best to you and your family. Looking forward to catching up soon. Happy birthday, Tom. <laughs> Thank you, Tom. Take care. That's the great Tom Patry. Again, P-A-T-R-I is the spelling of his last name, at Tom Patry Golf on Twitter and Instagram. The Tom Patry page uh, out on YouTube, his YouTube channel. Fantastic, folks. So much good content that you get for free, oh, by the way. So if you've got a question or, or a problem with your game and you want to go out and see some great instructional video, you can spend hours checking out all the things that Tom has available, and he's going to get your game fixed. So uh, be sure to go out there and subscribe. And uh, I'm rooting so hard for him at the Florida Senior Open Championship. I can't wait to to hear how he does. Either which way, there's nobody finer than Mr. Patry. So we look forward to catching up with him a couple of weeks from tonight. All right, before I get to my next guest, Jane Geddes, I want to give a shout-out to a few of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Finn Cycles. It's time to rethink golf. The game is at a tipping point. The young people we need in the game don't have four and a half hours to spend out on the course. Pairing fin cycles with a desire to play ready golf can cut playing time in half because all golfers go directly to their own golf ball. Plus, it's tons of fun. Go online to finscooters.com and click on Find a Fin for a course that has them near you. I also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Golf Pride. Did you know that Golf Pride lets you rep your favorite team while also using the number one grip in golf? Your team, your grip, MCC Hybrid Grips, the number one grip series worldwide. Features an exclusive brush cotton cord in the upper hand for all-weather performance with premium rubber in the lower hand for added feel. The new MCC Team Series is available in a variety of new color combinations so you can rep your favorite team out on the course. Available in standard and midsize. Check it out online by going to golfpride.com. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. 
This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. Okay, now next on the tee with me is LPGA two-time major champion Jane Geddes. Jane is from Somerville, South Carolina. She played her college golf at Florida State and helped them win the 1981 National Championship. She was inducted into the Florida State Hall of Fame in 1988. She joined the LPGA Tour in 1983. She got her first career victory at the 1986 Women's U.S. Open. She would back it up with a win the very next week at the Boston Five Classic, becoming one of only four players in LPGA history to go back-to-back after winning the U.S. Open. 1987 was her best year on tour, winning five times, including the LPGA Championship, and then going back-to-back weeks at the Women's Kemper Open and the GNA Glendale Federal Classic. In all, Jane won 11 times and had 52 top 10 finishes. She went back to school after her time on tour and earned her undergraduate degree in criminology at the University of South Florida and her law degree at Stetson. She is now the CEO of the LPGA Legends Tour, and I'm so honored to have her back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Jane, thanks for coming back on the show. All right, now back with me here on Next on the Tee is LPGA two-time major champion Jane Geddes. Jane is from Somerville, South Carolina, played her college golf at Florida State and helped them win the 1981 National Championship. She was inducted into the Florida State Hall of Fame in 1988, joined the LPGA Tour in 83, got her first career victory at the 1986 Women's U.S. Open. She would back it up with a win the very next week at the Boston Five Classic, becoming one of only four players in LPGA history to go back-to-back after winning the U.S. Open. 1987 was her best year on tour. She won five times, including the LPGA Championship, and then went back-to-back weeks at the Women's Kemper Open and the GNA Glendale Federal Classic. In all, Jane won 11 times, had 52 top 10 finishes. She went back to school after her time on tour and earned her undergraduate degree in criminology at the University of South Florida and her law degree at Stetson. She is now the CEO of the LPGA Legends Tour, and I am so honored to have her back again with me tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Jane, thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, Chris, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Jane, I I feel like life is starting to creep back towards normal. We haven't (laughs) talked since all the COVID craziness over the last 13 months. I know. How have you been dealing with uh, the world according to COVID? It has been um, challenging. You know, Uh, it's been... um, you know, we pretty much shut down in 2020 as far as the Legends Tour goes. And, you know, it was just one of those, you know, our our tour, we, we don't have the, the the benefit of saying, well, just watch on TV. It doesn't matter if we have fans or anything. We don't have that, right? So we have, uh, we depend solely on sponsors relying on that client interaction, that pro-am, the parties, the, the interaction with fans, everything. And obviously, we couldn't do that last year. And it's still, uh, you know, we're still in, you know, in a, um, even though I, 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 you know, I feel like we're coming out of the fog, and I think everybody else does, you know, we're still in that point of people trying to figure out, you know, how can we gather? What can we do? Well, you know, when can we do it? So it's been, a, it's been a challenge, but it's been a challenge for everyone. 
So it's not like we're alone in anything that, you know, that we're going through. And, Jane, to your point, one of the many great things about the LPGA Legends Tour has been sort of the unprecedented access that fans have to the players. I mean, in the past, you could walk right down the middle mm-hmm. of the fairway alongside the player of your choice if you wanted to. Do you, is that going to change? How, how do you feel like this season? Is it going to be different? And are you going to have one? Well, we're, you know, we're going to have a little mini one right now. We, you know, the, the senior women, uh, women's open will be played at Brookfield, um, country club in, uh, Fairfield, Connecticut in July. And then we're in August, we're going to be at back at French Lake for the senior LPJ championship. And, uh, we have one new event, uh, the Lando Lake um, classic in, um, Minneapolis in August, but, and then maybe, sprinkle a couple events in there that we're still working on. But again, Chris, it's just been this, you know, I'm talking to a bunch of people about how to be involved with the legislature, but it's, it's still to that point of what are the, what, you know, what are the protocols going to be? What do we going to do? So, you know, quite honestly, um, I'm very focused on 2022 right now because that, that's <laughs> really what makes most sense for me. You know, I mean, I look at this year, they, you know, coming into this year, with so much unknown, it was very difficult to build on anything that we had been building on already in 20. So, I mean, in 19 and then in 20. So it was, you know, so we just kind of, we, you know, we kind of went dark a little bit. Um, but I say that, but you know what? Credit to all of my members and all the members of the Legend Store. We just kind of finished our, our membership kind of re-up for everybody. And we have more members than we've ever had. Um, 16 Hall of Famers and, and, you know, and so the support of all my, you know, my friends and, and, you know, players from the LPGA that are now qualified for the legend has been, you know, kind of unprecedented. And, um, I appreciate that. And I, you know, uh, it makes me, it drives me to, you know, make sure that we can, you know, have something for everyone to really support and to play in and really benefit from in the future. So that's that's the good news. And Jane, as you talk about growth of the players and and looking ahead to 2022, to your point a few moments ago, I know you've got four events scheduled on the season. Sounds like you're trying to work on a couple of more. But as you look ahead to next year, do you expect to have, you know, whether it's eight or ten or that many more events that uh, we can look forward to for uh, watching the LPGA Legends play? Well, if I could base it on my conversations right now, I'd say yes. You know, there'll be that many. Um, it's, you know, like, like anything else, it's, it's getting all those over the kind of threshold, um, and get everyone committed. So, but I, but, you know, next year will be, you know, by all accounts, as, as we can kind of, best we can tell now, we'll be a little bit more back to normal. So again, those conversations that I'm having about next year are a lot more vibrant and a lot more sort of, hey, we'll be there, you know, kind of then, then obviously then we could have had this year. So yeah, you know, I, I would, uh, we are, here, here's the challenge is that when, when you talk about the Legends Tour, we've never really been a tour, right? We, a tour, what we think about, what we all know about a tour in golf is this, you know, tons of tournaments and, you know, the whole calendar year, PGA Tour, LPGA Tour, whatever, champions. We're not, we're not that. And, and really for now, in the next, you know, however many years, we're not going to be that. First of all, our players don't necessarily want to play every week and, and have the, and, and can play every week. A lot of, a lot of our players are members, 
work and, you know, they have jobs in other places, but love to go out and play and love to, you know, still be able to compete. So um, I, I'll, you know, I, I feel comfortable saying this now. I mean, we're, I think we're almost at the point where we can kind of talk about it. Next time I'm on your show, we will be able to talk about it a lot, but we're, we're working with the LPGA to, to become a kind of change our name a little bit and become the legends of the LPGA because that's really who we are. Right, we're the legends of the LPGA, and what that means out sort of in the market is we're we're up for doing a lot of different things because we have we have a a a, a kind of a vast membership of all different ages, all different you know, like I said, sixteen or seventeen, I think, um, Hall of Famers. You know, not a lot of them want to play and compete, but golly, they would love to go do things that support women's golf or support the LPGA or support the legends or, you know, whatever. So I, I'm excited about the potential that we have and getting a little closer to the LPGA and really working with them um, more. Um, it, it's the right thing to do. It, it makes sense. Mike Juan and I had talked about it for years. Um, and so, you know, it, it's coming to fruition soon and, 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 and I'm excited about that. Um, so I, I think it'll, Help me tell my story a little better. The Legends Tour doesn't necessarily say who we are all the time, you know. Um, sometimes I have to kind of, you know, I, I always end up defaulting to, well, we're the Legends of the LPGA. We're the Senior Tour of the LPGA. So I think I'll be able to tell my story a little better um, and look forward to kind of talking about that kind of, you know, publicly and whatnot in the very, very, very near future. So. So, Jane, I, I want to talk a little bit about the LPGA because there, there was a time when my buddies and I, we could relate more to the ladies playing out on the LPGA tour because the distance they hit their shots was closer <laughs> in relation to ours. I mean, guys on the L, on, on the PGA yeah. tour, we can't relate to that. We can't, we can't relate to 345 yard drives or, or Bryson DeChambeau hitting it 400 yards, that sort of stuff, but we could. Yeah for the ladies on the LPGA tour. But even now, as I start to look at the statistics, I mean, the top five women on tour are driving it over 280 yards. They're starting to play yeah. a game that we're not familiar with. Talk about what you're seeing on the LPGA tour. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm amazed myself, honestly, you know, and, and here, here's, and, and my, my opinion is it all comes down to the equipment. Um, and, and the fitness of the players and, and whatnot. But in the end, here, and here's my, the, 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 my, my point that I, the only thing that I can relate to is when I play, and I, I don't play a lot. You know, if I get out to play once every few weeks, whatever, I have a set of clubs that I've had for a few years. They're not necessarily fitted to me, but they're okay. You know, they're, they're, they're workable. I've, I've been with Callaway almost my entire career and they, you know, I, I'm, I'm nice enough to get me clubs every now and then. And here, but the bottom line is, I hit my I hit my irons the same distance that I hit them when I played in my prime. And I will tell you, that should not be the case, right? I have I do not practice. I don't have any golf muscles. I don't have any of that. But the equipment and the golf ball allow me to do that. Um, and so when you see players, um, you know, hitting the ball like they do, and, and, you know, I think, you know, um, Bryson, here's a whole different story. But when, you know, I think, I, I think the equipment and the golf ball are driving a lot, no pun intended, are just driving a lot of this 
change in in the game. Um, and you know, like I said, granted the players are they're 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 super fit. I mean, it's a whole different mode. You know, it's it's you know it's professional sports at its best. And um, but it I mean, it, you know, the 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 length that the women are hitting balls, it's just phenomenal. And and um, and you know, some fantastic golf swings and all of it, all of it is improving. And but that you know, that's sort of the evolution, right? I mean, it, the evolution of when, you know, when, when, when I came on tour and, and how it evolved from, you know, the players that were 20 years before me. And so, um, I just don't want I guess I just, the question, I guess you probably are asking is where's it at? How can you drive the right. 400 yards? I mean, where, at what point do these golf courses become obsolete? And that's, that's more, that's my question more, at least on the men's side. The women benefit from it, but, you know, the men, it's a whole different story. So are you concerned about it? I mean, do you think it's a good thing or bad thing? Are you for bifurcation? What do you think we should do? I'm I'm for bifurcation. I mean, I, you know, I, and I don't know even what that means, you know, as far as I, I couldn't go into the details of all of that. But I will tell you that I was an advisor on the Equipment Standards Committee with the USGA when I was with the LPGA a long time ago. I, I would say this is 10 years ago, at least. Um, it was around the time, well, it was when we changed the group. So it was around that time. So at that point, we were, t- we were talking about the golf ball then. Serious conversations about the golf ball and what are we going to do about it? You know, and there was, it was, everyone was so, you know, no one really even wanted to talk about it. It, it was sort of the, oh, you know, how do we, how, what do we, it, there, it, it, there's, you know, there's, so much that goes on behind that. You're just saying, oh, just change the ball. Just, you know, make the pros play a different ball or whatever. I mean, there's, it's, there's far more nuances behind it than just, you know, saying that. So, um, you know, it's the, the conversation has been going on a really long time and, and I'm not in the mix of that anymore. So I, I, I don't know where those conversations are going to go, but I know that Mike Guan is going to have his hands full when he takes over soon. I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, uh, uh, he is, you know, I talked to him the other day and I said, boy, you're going to have to all of a sudden learn a lot about different stuff. <laughs> you know, we were kind of joking, you know, about golf courses and golf setup and rules and equipment and, you know, there's, there's a lot. And, um, a lot that, and I say it's a lot only because a lot that's top of mind and top, you know, and what people are really talking about. And, um, what do you do when you, when you, when you're playing golf courses that are, you know, the, some of the classics and there's no room to move back and there's no places to move, you know, to build more teeth. What do you do? I, you know, I think at some point the, the game has to say, okay, stop. You know, we have to do something. So I don't know. It's, Jane, and it's going to be very interesting. As you mentioned, talking with Michael Wan, and from the minute the news came out that he was going to step down at, you know, some point this year, your name immediately came yeah. up as a possible successor. Is that a job you'd like to have? You know what? Thank you. I, I appreciate that you saying that. And, um, I've been, I've been asked by a few people about that. And, um, my answer has been, you know what? Um, first of all, Mike, it's pretty tough shoes to fill. I think whoever fills those shoes is going to be, um, have, have a, you know, it's going to be interesting. And, um, 
And I said that to Mike, you know, I, and he, you know, his his response was sort of, oh, they'll create their own culture and everything. And I was like, yeah, but we just like we just turned it all the way around <laughs> in your 11 years, and so we want to keep it going in that direction. Um, but um, so you know, my, my it's where I am in my life. I have 12 year old twin, boy girl twins, and that are super busy. And you know, what Mike has created as far as just you know, he goes to every single event and um and which is the right thing to do and supports every sponsor and has a travel schedule just that is, you know, like craziness and um the challenge of the job is significant. I mean the LPGA, um, it takes a lot of work to run the LPGA. And um while I am you know, I am absolutely humbled and honored that somebody would even say that that would be something that I could do, the, the time in my life is just not great, you know, but I'm, you know, I'm support, I, I will be the first one to support whoever's there and I, I can't wait to find out who it's going to be and um, Mike has, you know, he's he's been a good friend of mine and a, and a great mentor and um, I think he has left the LPJ in an amazing place, uh, amazing, and I think him taking over the USGA is uh, just, uh, I mean, the, the for women's golf, um, and you know, and in his knowledge and and what he has now lived through the last eleven years, you know, being um, on the side of women's golf, I think it's it's going to be a game changer for for women's golf overall. And I think he's the right guy for the job at the USGA, bar none. Um, when I heard Mike Davis um, was going to step aside, my first thought was, oh my. Um, God, I hope they consider Mike Wan. So, because um, I think he's just, I think he's the right guy for the job and where they are. So, anyway, thank you for even asking. Okay, and just a couple more before I let you go. And and we're a couple of weeks north of another wonderful Augusta National Women's Amateur Tournament, won by Subasa Kachatani, uh, and a playoff was a it was a great tournament to watch. Talk about the impact that tournament is having on women's amateur golf. Well, you know, I mean, if if you have if you have the the name Augusta near anything to do with golf, you're going to get there's going to be an impact, right? And um I think the fact that um Augusta has embraced the event like they have um and the attention that it has gotten for um for amateur golf is just spectacular. I mean, it it's any any time you can align with that, you know, type of brand or that that you know the power that Augusta has in golf, it's a win. It's totally a win. Um, would I love somehow, some way for the LPGA to be included in that conversation? Heck yeah. I don't know how, but um, I don't know, you know, if that's something down the road that will be considered, um, because I think that would sort of put the cherry on top. But I, I, I think what they've done um, for women's amateur golf is spectacular. I really do. I think it's um, fun to watch. It's fun to watch the women play um, Augusta, and, and um, you know, it's uh, it's very cool. I'm, I'm jealous. I wish I could. I wish I could turn back the clock and go compete myself. Did you ever get to play there? So, no. And only because, all my fault, I, I was invited probably two or three times, and 
it was when I was, you know, playing full time and um, somehow always found myself busy doing something else and never made, you know, never made it a priority thing. Yeah, I'll give you money. Yeah. So now anybody that would like to invite me, I will drop everything in my entire <laughs> life to go ahead and play and cut it's like, oh my God, how who turns down Augusta, right? Who does that? So I didn't even say it, but that's a fact. So anyway, I'm waiting wow. for one of these days. I know. Crazy. So Jane, before I let you go, let our listeners know how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing on your own and plus with the with the LPGA Legends tour and, and follow you, whether it's online or it's on social media. Yeah, I mean, you know what? TheLegendsTour.com is our website, The Legends Tour on Facebook. Um, we do a pretty good job on Facebook of, of kind of keeping everybody um, in tune of, you know, what's going on with our players and, and whatnot. And um, hopefully we're going to be doing a little bit more as we become the legends of the LPGA. Look for that. Um, you know, we'll be posting on social media, um, hopefully doing a little bit more. Um, with some um, really interactive things with our um, with our members um, on the legends um, of the LPJ TV and radio and whatnot. So um, more to come on all of that. And I, you know, hopefully when I when we talk next time, Chris, I'll have um, a lot more to talk about as it relates to um, the LPJ and and our our association, um, their association with us, and what that looks like down the road. But thank you. I, it's it's great spending time with you tonight. I appreciate it very much. Always a privilege having you as part of the show, and thank you for partnering us with uh, this year. I'm very excited to hear more about what you're doing and then have more of the players uh, from the tour as guests uh, promoting themselves, their careers, and then obviously their time out on the tour with you. So thank you very much for uh, for partnering with us this year. You're fantastic. Thank you, Chris. Take care. Take care, Jane. All the best in your family. Stay safe. Okay. Thank you. See you, Jane. That's the great Jane Geddes, folks. And uh, hopefully they get uh, you know, more events, first of all. And second, kind of get back to a place where, and I'm telling you, you literally could go out on when they play up at French Lick and they're playing uh, you know, one of their majors. You can go out in the middle of the fairway and walk with your favorite LPGA legend. You can hear the conversation with the caddies. You can watch, walk shoulder to shoulder with them, ask them questions, the whole nine. It's unprecedented you know, access to those great women. And uh, I I just can't thank them. I can't thank them enough, A, for being partners with us, and then uh, learning more and more as they uh, partner with the LPGA Tour. So great stuff from Jane Geddes. And, and folks, don't be surprised if Jane Geddes ends up being the next commissioner of the LPGA. Rooting hard for that, too. All right, before I get to my next guest, Terry Hashimoto, I want to give a shout-out to a few of our sponsors starting with our friends over at Squares Golf. Are you like me, always considering new golf equipment, maybe a new driver? I'll tell you what, let me reset your thinking because I discovered Squares Golf Shoes. The patented square toe provides balance, stability, and a wider base for increased connection to the ground, effectively increasing your swing speed by 2.2 miles per hour, an average of 9 yards of distance. Independent tests prove it. That's right. It's proven in science. Go to squares.com. That's S-Q-A-I-R-Z.com and get Squares 30-day money-back guarantee. Use promo code DISTANCE for $20 off. Remember, distance comes from swing speed, and swing speed comes from your connection to the ground. 
And folks, I wouldn't tell you about it if I didn't experience it for myself. I've never felt more stable in my golf swing, which allows me to swing faster and launch it further. Squares, the distance golf shoe. I also want to give a shout out to another new sponsor, Bionic Gloves. Do what you do better with Bionic Gloves. Whether you're looking to own the golf greens, improve your workouts, or get your hands dirty in the garden, Bionic Gloves has you covered. Designed with a hand specialist, Bionic Gloves feature patented innovations that help improve your grip. The strategically placed anatomical relief pads also prevent calluses and blisters, while the web and motion zones allow for greater dexterity and flexibility. Head over to BionicGloves.com to find the perfect glove to up your game. And I want to remind you about our friends over at Zexio. In 2001, Zexio Strixon began making clubs for men and women, and they've improved on those clubs every year since. Every part of Zexio clubs are made exclusively for Zexio. Everything is light and balanced. Swing weights are made to give us the highest smash factors. And the best part of getting fit for Zexio clubs is hitting it higher and straighter than ever before, changing your game. Zexio clubs are a Golf Digest Hot List Gold winner for 2021. Congratulations to Zexio Ambassador MB Park for her five-stroke victory earlier this year at the Kia Classic. It was her 21st victory, and she did so using Zexio 11 Woods and 10 Irons. See how Zexio can help your game as well. Go online to ZexioUSA.com and pick which set is right for you. All right, now next on the tee with me is Terry Hashimoto. Terry is the co-developer and founder of Swing Balance and Body Track Golf, which is what most golf club fitting companies and instructors use when you go get fit or you're taking a lesson. Tom Patry has it in his studio. Terry is originally from Winnipeg, Manitoba. He was named Manitoba Amateur Golfer of the Year three times and was a finalist five more times from 1976 to 1998. In 98, he won Manitoba's Provincial Amateur, Mid-Amateur, and Match Play titles. He was named Golfer of the Year in 1976, 1980, and 1998. In the years he didn't win, he was still a finalist every year from 1978 to 1985. He was also a nominee for Manitoba's Athlete of the Year in 1998 in recognition of winning all three amateur major titles. Played his college golf at the University of Miami on a scholarship, and he won seven college tournaments. He was low amateur in the Pan Am Open Tournament and served as team captain of both the junior and senior teams at Miami. Terry earned his degree in finance. At age 17, he placed seventh in the Junior Orange Bowl Tournament in 1975. He became a PGA professional in 1986 and was club pro at Bell Acres Golf and Country Club. He played on the Canadian Tour from 1986 to 1998 and finished 8th in the Canadian PGA Championship in 1986 and finished 17th on the Order of Merit in 1988. Terry was inducted into the Manitoba Golf Hall of Fame in September of 2010. He's also working with our friends over at Squares Golf, and he's one of the most sought-after people in the golf industry, and I'm very honored to have him with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Terry, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, Chris, I'm embarrassed. Thank you very much for that uh, that dialogue. I appreciate it. Absolutely, my friend. You got a heck of a career. I, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, I mean, take me all the way back to the beginning, Terry. How did you uh, first fall in love with a game of golf? Well, you know, it's, uh, we had nothing to do in the winter. My dad was 40, my mom was about 30, and I was just a little boy. And uh, he said, well, he woke up one day, said, we're going to do something as a family. And we took winter golf lessons when winter golf lessons weren't uh, weren't in vogue. And uh, 
that's how we learned. And we became, it was a family thing at first. And then, you know, I, I took a liking to it and I became adequate at it, I guess. As Bob Kotsky would tell me to say. And, uh, one thing led to another. I was competitive and luckily enough, I was able to get a scholarship at the University of Miami. And by the way, I want to wish Jane and her friends, uh, her colleagues all the best. Cindy Miller was a, um, a University of Miami graduate and she's very active in that, uh, a legend tour section as well. So Miami had a great women's golf team, and I wish all the ladies the very best in uh, in making their legend tour a, a huge success. And Terry, you know Cindy Miller is a great friend of the show, and she was there right the time when you were in, at Miami. She was helping them win national championship on the on the women's side, right? Didn't you guys cross over well, uh, your time at Miami? Oh yeah, I know Cindy quite well. Uh, I know Alan and her husband Alan Miller, and uh, Patty Rizzo, uh, Kathy Morris, uh, Debbie Hoffman, if she's listening, uh, this, oh, Miami had such a great team. It was, uh, for women. I used to put, my coach used to let me go play with the ladies once in a while and they'd, uh, Patty Rizzo and the, and the girls would regularly kick my ass and I'd lose some money to them. But, uh, <laughs> uh, we, I loved gambling with them and I loved, uh, the you. Uh, we had a great experience there and, uh, to all my friends in New York, a big hello, Johnny Van Halla from Houston. We we love you guys down there, and uh, we hope everybody's safe. And Terry, how does how does a kid from Winnipeg end up playing his college golf at the University of Miami? Well, I um, <laughs> well, there wasn't a lot of opportunities back then, so one guy had gotten a golf scholarship. Went to, it was uh, he finished second in the Canadian junior and he was offered a, a scholarship at Indiana. His name is, uh, he's now Dr. Bill Parker, but, uh, I, when I, since I was 14, I wanted to get away and play golf on a golf scholarship. I don't know why I had that vision or dream, but I did. And, uh, when I finished well at the Orange Bowl, so I, I think I was seventh or eighth, as you mentioned, I can't remember exactly. Um, there was a lot of great players there. Um, and I had three scholarship offers, Duke University, University of Florida, Buster Bishop, and University of Miami. I graduated early, early from school, and my dad said, here's $2,000. Uh, you know, when you run out, I'm coming to get you. Uh, but I had the same habits as he did. I liked to gamble on the golf course, so I really didn't need any money. I was taking money from Bob Toski, was my, was my teacher back then, and Bob would let me pick up the pins at night to hit balls and get free lessons at Hidden Valley on Southwest 56 and I'd gamble every weekend with the old guys. And um, uh, it, it was just an amazing thing uh, to have that opportunity. I'll never forget it. Uh, made some great friends. Played a ton of golf. It was my life. Uh, I really went there to play golf, not to get my degree in finance, although that did help me later on. How <laughs> are you doing, Terry, you competed on the you competed on the uh, Canadian tour for a while. And, and as I was sort of looking at some of your results and that sort of thing, when I was looking at leaderboards and on those leaderboards, a lot of times was Mo Norman, who's a legend as an instructor. Yeah. We can see his influence like on Bryson DeChambeau swing. That's sort of Did you get to know Mo over the years? Yes, I knew Mo quite well. Actually, not, yeah, he wasn't like, uh, you never knew if Mo was your friend really, but there was a, I'd say a lot of people, don't know this, but most probably best friend was a guy named Gus Maui. And the guy that I traveled with a lot, Danny Milovic and Kelly Murray. Uh, uh, Kelly Murray was one of Canada's longest hitters, and Danny Milovic, uh, 
he went to school in the States, uh, great player, uh, still playing professional golf. Um, but Mo would come over to you, and I played quite a few tournaments as an amateur and a pro with Mo. Uh, I, I enjoyed my time with him, but I do have one really good Mo story. So uh, later on in life, I owned a company called Jazz Golf. It took the public in 2000. It was Canada's most successful golf company. And we were at a trade show uh, at the Orlando PJ Show, and uh, Mo saw me there, and he walks into our booth. We, we didn't have a huge booth. It was 40 by 20. Mo started hitting balls, and uh, all of a sudden, people started gathering. In about 15 minutes, Mo's putting on a full seminar, and my partner, Jeff Gideon, and I, we get out of the booth, and all the media were there. And he hit balls for about 50 minutes and answered questions for about another 40 minutes. And Mo uh, came up to me and just said, smiled and left. And uh, to me, that was a clear indication. That's the type of guy Mo was. If he liked you, he'd always be thinking of you and do stuff for you. And I'll never forget that story. That's a true story. Wow. And Terry, you, like I say in your intro, you had success at the Canadian PGA in 86. You finished tied for eighth. You finished in the top 20 of the Order of Merit in 1998. Talk about your time playing out on the Canadian Tour. Well, I, I had three golf stores at the time, so I never really played it full-time. I guess my uh, I made it to the finals of the PGA Tour twice. I shot eight under it. Uh, the year Dick Mass made set the all-time PGA Tour school record, I think he shot, uh, I forgot, I think it was nearly 20 under. I was eight under, and I missed by uh, two. Um, but every it, it was a little challenging because the, the finals were always in the dead of winter, and I'd have to go back home and run my stores. I'm not making excuses. It wasn't meant to be. I wasn't good enough, but uh, I do have one claim to fame, though, Chris. Um, I did qualify uh, as an amateur to play in the Jackie Gleason Invitational, and I made the cut. And then a guy named Danny Halderson, as some people uh, may remember, he was a Canadian that he uh, lived his last part of his life in Chicago. A great player. I won a couple times on the tour, but he said, put your name in the book, Terry. I put my name in the book, and they gave me an exemption to go play at Doral. And that's where I met Mike Adams later on. But Later on, Nathaniel Crosby told me, he says, you've got a, you've got one, you're in the Hall of Fame, Hash. He said, what for? He says, you were the last amateur to ever be given an exemption to play another PGA Tour event because some of the pros didn't like it and they stopped doing it after that. So, um, but I, on the Canadian Tour, you know, I played it sporadically. I played it, uh, it was, it was a good tour. Uh, a lot of great players, uh, on the U.S. Tour, uh, played it to get their, you know, get their, I forgot what the proper expression is, but just to get experience. Um, kind of, uh, it, it was kind of pre-Nike tour, you know, and great to, to travel in your car with the guys. Uh, and, but I was always taking shops out there. I was a golf club uh, manufacturer at heart, and I was always testing clubs. I was always talking to guys about, you know, we were always tinkering. We were always uh, messing around with clubs, and, and that's kind of how I got into body track. So we're going to get to body track in just a minute, but you, you mentioned Nathaniel Crosby. Talk about your relationship yeah. with him. You guys were on the same team at Miami, right? Well, I went in, in 1976, Nathaniel came up to Montreal and played the Canadian amateur. And there's a, uh, probably the most famous hockey voice in Canada, a guy named Dick Irwin. And I had, uh, uh, done a, uh, the TPGA championship when I was 18. Or 17, they put me up in the booth, uh, with Dick. I was a spotter. And Dick got kind of excited one time when a guy almost a hold a shot and he said, that's the best shot we've seen all day, isn't it, Terry? And I said, 
Yes, it was Dick, and it was amazing. And I, I wasn't supposed to say anything because I was a spotter. Anyways, uh, Dick and I became great friends. Because he 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 <laughs> It was just past Johnny on the spot, and uh, Dick lived in Montreal, so I'd always visit with Dick. But Nathaniel Crosby was staying with Dick, and I, Nathaniel and I played the first two rounds together, and we shot pretty much the same score. And then we played the third round together. I said, you know, you got to come down to Miami. And my coach from uh, New Hampshire, Dr. I, I, he was my coach in Miami, but he lived in New Hampshire. He said, I said to the coach, I said, you know, Nathaniel's a good player. You ought to get him to come down uh, to DU. And he said, well, bring him out. And uh, if he wants to, if he likes it, we'll give him a scholarship. We'll work it out. And sure enough, Nathaniel came down and he got a scholarship, played well, and he ended up winning the U.S. Amateur in my junior year. Uh, great player. In my senior year, I think, actually. But uh uh, great player, great guy, great family, and uh, amazing experience. Terry, as you mentioned, Body Track, talk about what you're doing now and why you develop Body Track. And thanks for asking, Chris. Um, well, Body Track is the, is the world's only portable pressure mapping system that you can, it doesn't need calibration. You can put it in a sand trap, you can put it on a, uneven surfaces like a downhill or uphill lie. Um, basically, before I got involved with fly track, I invented inertial measuring units, those little, little clips that you put on clubs. Uh, True Temper partnered up with me and we wanted to see if we could measure angle velocities, paths, and stuff like that just by putting a little clip on the golf club. It became Sky Pro. I sold out of that. I wanted to get out of the golf business. Uh, I, I needed, I wanted to do online neurological assessments for concussions with the, uh, using inertial measuring units and helmets. And I needed a material that you could put in the helmet to measure pressure. And incredibly, the material existed in Winnipeg, although I had moved to Fredericton, New Brunswick, to do a, develop, uh, a deal with uh, the Canadian government on, uh, uh, on helping young engineers uh, take their ideas and commercialize them. But I found this material back in Winnipeg, and I approached them, and they said to me, uh, I said, can we make a concussion skull cap uh, and attach an IMU to it, initial measuring unit? And measure angular velocities and, and, and forces. And they said, no, you're not from that world, but we, we know you're looking at building a, a, a golf pressure mat, which I was. And I said, how about using our material? And we became partners. And, uh, uh, you know, 10 years later, uh, about 7,500 people, pros on the, we have 7,500 instructors worldwide using body track. Uh, it measures pressure side to side heel to toe on up and down, so it's a 3D pressure mat. Uh, we integrate with people like V1, Gasp Systems, uh, Flight Scope, Ernest Sport, Sampot, uh, Swing Guru, uh, Strength Technology Think. It's quite profound. And uh, I was looking at the top 50 instructors before I came on here. I I would tell you that at least 40 of the top 50 use it, um, and the other 10 probably use some of our other pro uh, our competitors' projects, but where the what makes Flytrack unique is that we're we're actually a, a, a medical company. We use it for acute care, recovery, and hospitals, spinal cord rehabilitation, gait analysis, fall prevention. And but my job was to take the material and convert it into a sports product, which is the golf product at first. Also use it for baseball, for performance training, and like I mentioned, gait analysis, which is sort of all those are kind of my areas of uh, expertise. But uh, golf is my primary objective. And Terry, weight distribution is something we've talked more and more about on this show. Does our weight distribution 
need to be evenly balanced at all times? Is that what you're looking at? Just to make sure we're, we're staying balanced throughout our swing or does it change whether we're from setup to backswing to transition to follow through? Should our weight distribution ebb and flow like the golf swing does? Well, definitely. Uh, you know, the best, the most rewarding part of my job has been working with the uh, legends, guys like Jim McClain, Claude Harmon, guys like that. You know, I mean, I could go on, John Tillery, Scotty Hamilton, Martin Chuck, Jake Thurm, blah, blah, blah. But uh, wh- wh- when they got on the pressure mat, the overwhelming majority is that they can't believe how good this is, gives you real-time feedback. But it validated most of their notions. Like the first thing we noticed on the when we went on a PGA tour was is that the golf pros, the tour pros, set up all 55, 60 on the lead side. That was a, a totally different gig than when I was learning how to play golf. Um, we we were told to set up more on the on the trail side. So in the, somehow in the 70s, 80s, and it switched over in the 90s and early 2000s, where touring pros were starting to set up more stronger on the lead side. That was kind of unique, and the the very first thing that we found out was is that the pressure, the center of pressure trace, moved forward towards the lead side before the completion of the backswing. And that was a revelation. And that was that was something very unique that we discovered early on in around eight years ago. And 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 that that's a huge difference um, between the way we were taught. Um, uh, and we also found out the um, guy uh, uh, in Arkansas wrote a book called Gravity Golf and talks about counterfall and he talks about having pressure into the trail heel, your right heel if you're right-handed golfer and your left heel if you're left-handed golfer. But your arms have a mass about 10, 12%. So if you take that 20 pounds or 25 pounds and move it towards impact, you better have more pressure in your heels to offset the forces going forward uh, towards impact. Otherwise, you'll just get into your toes. and uh, the number one pressure flaw that we found in golf today is too much pressure on the toes. And the toes are the brakes, the heels are the accelerators, ankles, the shock absorbers, and the propulsion system. So if you accelerate through your toes, you're not off the, you're, it's like driving down the highway with one toe on the brake. Uh, you're slowing down your acceleration to the lead side. And as you know, Chris, everybody wants distance. So the formula for distance is keep it in the heel. So to that end, you know, when, when we're set up and I, and our, and our, uh, you know, we're addressing the ball, we're getting ready to take our backswing. It sounds like what you're saying is what you found is there's more weight on, and I'm a right-handed player. So for right-handed players, there's going to be more weight on my left leg than there is on my right leg. Is that, did I understand that correctly? Well, at a dress, at, um, you know, at, at P1, at a dress, the, the, the number, the, the, I look for common denominators and, you know, everybody has seen that slide of 10 guys at the top of the swing, 10 of the best players at the top of the swing, and they all look different. But what's interesting, because I've got traces of all those guys, is that their traces are all the same. They all sit up 55, 60 on the lead side, some of them a little more. Uh, at P2, P3, the uh, center of pressure begins to move forward towards the lead side well before the completion of the top of the back swing. And at P2, P3, they have 55, 60% of their pressures in their trail heel to offset the forces of the pressure moving forward towards impact. And the interesting thing about this is that the, the, in order to gain distance, you have to have 
a lot of vertical pressure on your lead side. Golf's an asymmetrical game played at its highest level. It's not a symmetrical sport anymore. Uh, guys don't swing, uh, you know, timidly anymore. And neither do the women. Uh, they rip it. But when you get into the toes, you know, you're, you're, you're really, um, you're not effective. And, and there's one common trace that we see over and over with all the uh, major winners. Every single Augusta winner in their irons has got a linear trace. Now, it changes in their driver because they go after a little bit more and they get, they do get it a little bit into their toes. But the number one pressure flaw in golf is too much pressure in the toes during your swing. The number two pressure flaw is backing up prior to impact in your irons. I hate that for kids. It's particularly annoying because I have a young 15-year-old boy that likes to play golf a little bit. He's a soccer player, but he plays golf. And when you see them get into the toes, you know they're not optimal. And the third one is old guys like me don't get pressure to the lead side quick enough, which is the number one way to lose distance. Um, we, it's down to a science now. It really is in terms of pressure mapping. And um, it, it, the best thing about fly track, bar none, is that you can use ball feedback so you can replicate the proper pressure patterns. You can, you can, you can use it for practicing. And, you know, like I said, th- th- these are not unknown quotients anymore. But I, I think you'll find it interesting, Chris, is that I started my career in body track basically in, in your area. You worked with guys like Jason Carbone, Ted Sheftick, Mark Sheftick, Mike Adams, James Hong, John Dunnigan, and Tom Kavecki in Boston. But basically all the guys in the uh, New York area, Philadelphia area, Boston area, those were the early adopters and, and they gave, and they were gave, they were kind enough to let me travel with them, share experiences and learn. If I get on a, uh, on a body track today, uh, you know, cold. Yeah. Right. I mean, just n- knowing nothing. If I, if I got on there and wanted to see like what my numbers should be, should I, it sounded like I should be at address. I should be a little more on my left leg. As I go into transition, I should be a little more on my right leg and then let the momentum carry me back to my lead leg. Does that sound like the right sequence? Yes. And, the, but the cool, the, the unique thing is that the transition that you're referring to, most people will think is the top of the swing, but it's not. It's when the lead arm is parallel to the ground on the way back. That's when the actual shifting of the pressure occurs for good players. Uh, and that's, you know, you may have heard, well, I know you have, uh, the expression hanging back. Uh, that, that's right. really where, you know, so, when people don't get the pressure to the lead side early, in an, when the lead arm is parallel to the ground on the way back, that's that's called P3 for those who may not be familiar with that uh, that terminology. That's position number three. And when the lead arm is parallel to the ground on the way back, that's in a good player. The pressure is already moving forward. Now, when the uh, I'm sure everybody's sort of uh, uh, heard about vertical pressures, or most of us have heard of it now. But at T5, when the lead arm is parallel to the ground on the way down, that's max vertical pressure on the lead side. And that's when, that's really where the square shoes come into play so well. Not to, not to speed you up, but I mean, that's, that's something that we learned very effectively. So let's go down that path because I know you're also working with our friends over at Squares Golf. Talk about your involvement with them and how the square shoe comes into play to help us. Use the ground because one of the things, uh, Bob Wiskowitz, when he came on a few weeks ago, we talk about building distance from the ground up. Talk about how that has that impact and what those shoes can do for us. Well, 
first of all, uh, Bob's an amazing guy. He reached out to me about uh, about 150, 130 days ago and said, started talking to me. It was like two peas in a pod talking about shoes. I mean, we had done, a, a, the body track had done the, uh, uh, the fruit joy shoe fitting system, which I initiated. So I, I, I've been obsessed with trying to convince manufacturers to build specific types of shoes. It, it's always been to me where the, the trail side is a different job than the lead side, so I've never understood completely why all the shoes are made exactly the same left and right. But Bob approached me and said, you know, we, 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 we want objective data in, in shoe fitting. Uh, how would you go about doing that? And we, and we talked about it and we listed all the metrics that, that, that I could capture. And he said, well, look, I'll send you a couple pairs of shoes and, uh, try them out and see what your thoughts are. Well, I, you know, I'm not going to try anything out. I want, I want, I want to see the results from, uh, actual golfers that are playing all the time. So we put them on some guys and they all gained distance. And I was surprised because, I mean, I heard about their distance claims, but uh, usually distance claims are not proven and not valid. So I got back to Bob. I said, well, we tested them with several people and we did see distance gains. And, um, you want, let's, what's next? They said, well, let's do, uh, can you do an independent testing for, uh, test for us? Well, that's what we do. So, um, with the square toes, you know, it's interesting. A guy named Alex J. Morrison wrote a book in the thirties called Centrifugal Golf. And there's a picture that he took, uh, with an x-ray with the guy's toes curled up. Uh, basically way up and if you talk to uh if you had a chance to talk to sam Sneed, he would tell you that when he was playing poorly he would curl his toes up so and 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 what's interesting about that is is round shoes they basically curl they, they, they with pointy tips it curls your toes down and that creates tension in your foot when there's when your tension is when there's tension in your foot there's no freedom the the ankles can't work properly the, they can't be effective as, as shock absorbers and propulsion systems. So right off the get-go, square shoes had me fascinated. And we started looking for center of pressure, uh, how they, how the shoes affected center of pressure, um, how it affected the center of mass while you were playing golf, how it affected the range of motion, how it changed the path. And we found that the square shoes had one really interesting a whole bunch of different metrics that it improved, but one thing really stood out. It really stabilized the trail side. You know, if you get pressure to the outside of your trail foot there, Chris, it's very difficult to recover. And the square shoes really stabilized that pressure, and we noticed that the center of pressure was more towards the heel, and the game is played between the laces, you know, between the, the ball of your foot and your, and your ankle. That's really where the game is played and played properly. And what we also noticed was is that the the square shoes, because they had a the, the most contact surface area between the toe and the ankle, they really they really e- effectively created the biggest break on the lead side. Now if you got two highway two cars going down the highway at sixty miles an hour, one stops suddenly, the other one goes rapidly past it. Well, the one that goes rapidly past it, think of that as your hand, and the car that stops suddenly is the brake on your left foot, if your lead foot, if you're a right-handed golfer, is your left foot. So when you brake hard on your lead side, that allows the hand to go rapidly past, accelerate rapidly past it, and that's exactly what we saw with the square shoes. We can get into more detail if you want, but in a nutshell, yeah. greater vertical forces, uh, 
you know, we saw much more stability on the uh, trail side during the backswing. We saw the pressure speed up to the lead side. We can measure, we actually measure how fast pressure moves on body track. And we measured in centimeters per second. We saw an average of 18% increase in speed laterally towards the lead side with our test group of about 200 golfers over a 100-day period. And we saw an average uh, distance gain of eight yards uh, in handicapped golfers between 18 and pro. But we saw uh, significant gains like 20 to 24 yards uh, with novice golfers with a lot of instability. So we, we didn't include that in our averages because um, some of it was hard to, you know, even, even I had a hard time believing it. But the more unstable the golfer was, the greater the improvement in distance gain. And it was significant. So we got back to Bob, reported the data, and, you know, we started comparing against all the shoes they wanted us to compare to. And overwhelmingly, we were impressed. Essentially what that means is we're getting higher swing speeds, which then transitions to higher ball speeds, which gets us that extra yardage, right? The stability allows us to kind of crank it up a little bit, so then we get the extra yardage. Is that right? That's correct, Chris. We, 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 of course, uh, we use, uh, you know, flight scope or inner sports to measure the distance yardage, the ball speed, club head speed, the smash factor. Uh, we used our 3D systems to measure range of motion in the shoulders and hips. And we used body track to measure the, uh, the, the trace, the total amount of sway and the lateral and heel toe speed and the vertical forces. But to your point, we used, uh, it was distance, ball speed, club at speed, and smash factor. Those are the four common metrics that everybody can measure. But we also measured some unique things, which we call, uh, the break, uh, the break effect, which is how hard does the golfer actually press down on the lead side prior to impact? Because that's the full ball game right there, Chris. If you don't break on your lead side, imagine, you know, when you, we've all heard the, expression when you slid through the ball you don't really hit it very far it's that breaking power that gives you the maximum hand speed possible and that is really uh, where square shoes really uh, just the stability in the in the boot really made a huge difference and stability on the trail side allowed the pressure to get to the lead side very quickly and we know for sure without doubt without equivocable that the greatest golfers that hit the ball the furthest get pressure to the lead side the quickest. And that's just that end game right there. And Terry, you mentioned a few moments ago how with, with the shoes and, and um, interacting with the ankle and the stability of the ankle and allowing it to move around and that sort of thing. One of the things Bob talked about is how if you've got a golf shoe that you can twist in your hand, you, you might as well throw it out because you lose so much in just that. Uh, you know, sponginess and twistability and squares golf shoes are more stable. So to your point, and I want to make sure I understood this correctly as well, having freedom in your ankles to kind of move around a little bit, but having your feet stable on the ground, if you don't have that, you're, you're shot before you even start to take the, the club head back, correct? Uh, absolutely. Like, uh, you know, my pet peeve when guys come in, I like, I'm a bit of a, uh, Anomaly. Although I develop technology uh, and I create, I help build products. I'm still, I still teach. I still have two golf academies, 
where I live in PEI, Canada, uh, because I want to stay current and make sure that uh, I understand what's relevant in the market. So I can talk that language because I'm still still teaching. Um, but when we see kids come in and running shoes, I just about, you know, lose it. I just about toss my cookies because you know, I just throw them into a pair of square shoes just right off the get-go. Uh, and when there's no stability on that trail side, the pressure gets outside. And we use research-grade software to actually measure the PSI per inch load cell. So we see the pressure getting on the outside of your trail foot, your right foot if you're a right-handed golfer. And there's so much pressure on the outside of the trail foot, they just can't get to the lead side quick enough. And and you may remember I said earlier that getting pressure to the lead side early is the key is one of the key factors in hitting the ball far. And that stability that the square shoes generates and creates allows that stability to be actually uh, turned and converted into distance gain by getting pressure to the lead side very soon. Uh, it, it's a brilliant design. It, it, and, you know, I, I, I want to add something to it. So one thing I'm always obsessed with is gait, uh, because as I get older, I, I, we, we work in fall prevention and gait analysis for performance. My son's a soccer player. We, we want to understand how gait uh, affects your performance. And so we did gait tests with people walking in the square shoes and for close speeds, you know, two miles an hour to 2.5 on incline uh, between zero and 10 degrees. And, you know, similarly golf courses, and we perturbed the shoes by putting balls, little round balls in the bottom of them. And we did this in comparison to other golf shoes. And bar, and bar none, the reduction in the sway during your walk was overwhelming. So you're burning less energy and you're going to be more effective and more, uh, uh, and have a lot more energy for the shot, which at the highest level is critical because you do have to walk at the highest level. And because of COVID, more and more people are walking and walking on the golf course. So to me, not only do they work on for getting you more distance, but they'll help you walking too, uh, uh, by having less sway and burning less energy while you walk. To me, that's an overlooked factor. Terry, one more before I let you go. And I want to get back to your career. Like I mentioned in your intro, you were inducted into the Manitoba Golf Hall of Fame in 2010. Had to be a huge honor for you. What was it like being recognized like that in your home province? It was good, and I appreciate you asking that, Chris. It was, um, um, uh, I thought I was overdue. <laughs> Just kidding. But, the, uh, it was exciting. My son was there, and he was only a little boy. I think he was five. Uh, I got him on stage, and, uh, you know, we had some great golfers, uh, come out of Canada. Uh, you know, um, George Newton was from Winnipeg. Robbie McMillan won the Canadian, won the, uh, uh, world junior twice. Uh, you know, he's from Manitoba, but he was inducted at the same time with me, and uh, we were there together. It was a great experience, and I'm so blessed with what golf has been able to do for me. I'll never forget my time down in Miami. I feel like I'm, I've lived a third of my life in the States, and uh, all everybody in the U.S. has been so good to us. Uh, I really feel blessed uh, to know. I, I, I'm overwhelmed that I can be on your show. I'm just a little kid from Winnipeg, old man now, but uh, golf has been good to me. Um, uh, golf has been, it wouldn't have, if it wasn't for golf, I wouldn't have been able to get to meet people like you. And, and I, I'm very fortunate. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Absolutely, Terry. I'm very blessed to have you as part of the show tonight. Let our listeners know how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and follow you, whether it's online or it's on social media. 
I appreciate that. Bodytrackgolf.com, B-O-D-I-T-R-A-K, B-O-D-I-T-R-A-K, golf.com. And we are on all the social medias. And if you follow me on Facebook, I do the longer post, Hashimoto. And, you know, uh, just to everybody out there, um, thank you for allowing me to, to burn your ear tonight. And, Chris, thanks for allowing me to be on your show. And, uh, we, and, and to Bob, you know, thanks for letting us do the test for you, uh, for them. It, it's a real honor and pleasure. And uh, Tom Patry at the top of the show wanted me to pass along his best to you. He he certainly sung your praises uh, when we when we kicked off the show. So I know he's excited and listening tonight. So uh, I wanted to make sure you knew uh, how much TP appre- uh, appreciates you. And I appreciate TP. He's a great guy. We've had a lot of fun together. And uh, Chris, I hope that if you get a chance to come up to Canada when we can, come see us. Well, you'll be my guest at my house and. Uh, We'll play some golf, hit some balls, drink some Canadian beer. I appreciate that very much, Terry. Take care, my friend. Thanks for being a part of the show. I hope we get the privilege of having you back on again sometime. Thank you, sir. Have a good night. Bye-bye, everybody. See you, Terry. That's the great Terry Hashimoto. And I tell you, folks, uh, bodytrackgolf.com is the website. The things that Terry uh, and his partners are doing are outstanding helping us learn a little bit more about the transition and the weight distribution in our golf swing. And then you marry that up to, to the squares golf shoes. And you've heard me singing those praises now for, for, uh, several weeks. And I've got, uh, I've got those shoes and folks, as always, I would never promote something that I didn't think was great. And those shoes have helped me pick up distance and stability in my golf swing. What it has allowed me to do and what Terry pointed out is I'm much more stable. On the ground, I've got better traction and more stability in my golf swing, so I swing it faster. And that, you know, equates to ball speed, which equates to distance. So I can't uh, thank Terry enough for coming and being a part of the show and Bob for being a partner on the show. And uh, I want to tell you about, you know, Squares Golf, folks. No joke. You need to go out there and try these shoes. S-Q-A-I-R-Z is Squares. Squaresgolf.com. Uh, Fantastic stuff, folks. I hope you go out and get yourself a pair of them because they're going to improve your golf swing and they're going to improve your stability and really, you know, kind of sort of the overall health of, of, of your body because, again, when you have stability and you're not sort of getting outside your your, your heels and what uh, uh, what Terry was talking about, you're not getting on the balls and your ankles are going this way and that and all that sort of stuff, you feel better when, you, when you're playing the game as well. It helps to have a, a healthier gate as terry talked about healthier walk and you're gonna feel better and you're gonna hit it further all right folks time for me to put a bow on this episode of next on the team my sincere thanks go out to tom patrick jane gettys and terry hashimoto for joining me tonight please check out our website folks next on the t.net on there you're going to be able to keep up to date with what our guest schedule looks like and speaking of which next week scheduled to join me are 2010 LPGA National Teacher of the Year, Cindy Miller. You heard uh, Terry and I talking about Cindy. Cindy's a great friend of the show. Excited to have her back with me. The first female commissioner of the PGA of America, Susie Whaley, is going to be here. As will Brandon Stukesbury. And Brandon is the director of instruction at Idle Hour Club down in Macon, Georgia. He just released his second book, simply titled The Putter Book. So obviously we'll be talking putting. His first book was an Amazon bestseller with another similar simple title, The Wedge Book. So we'll talk about short game and putting. Uh, looking forward to having Brandon on the show as well. 
Folks, you can stream this show as a podcast on a number of great sites and apps like podcast.co, our great friends there, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Audioboom, Player.fm, Odyssey. Look, if you've got a favorite uh, podcasting app, we're probably on it. Just to uh, go up to the search bar and type in next on the T, you're probably going to find us on there. And folks, if you enjoy the show, please do me a favor and go online to podcastmagazine.com and vote for their show and their Hot 50 list. If you click on Hot 50, which you're going to see right at the top of their homepage, you're going to get a drop-down menu from there, and that includes Hot 50 voting. Click on that, and then just type in the name of the show and my name, Chris Mascaro. I'd really appreciate your support. Folks, thanks again for choosing to listen to this show tonight. I really appreciate the fact that you continue to make us a part of your golfing content. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.